Pushkin. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for business. Together with Delta, they're putting 5G into the hands of ground staff so they can better assist on-the-go travelers with real-time information. From the Delta Sky Club to the Jet Bridge, this is elevating customer experience. This is Delta with T-Mobile for business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. It's real cash that never expires or loses value. Apply for Apple Card in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Daily cash is available via Apple Cash Card issued by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC, or as a statement credit. Terms and more at AppleCard.com. The following is a high five moment from HighFiveCasino.com. I won! Private, put down your phone. This is the army. Sarge, High Five Casino is a social casino. It's on your phone. It goes wherever you go. I win free spins, cash, prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. I won again. Platoon, present cell phone. High Five. High Five. Casino. Casino. Win at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. Until you get to that zen place where you accept the fact that by putting work out into the world, you are not potentially opening yourself up to misinterpretation and unfair criticism. You are inviting misinterpretation. It's very easy to get in your head and be like, what's the point of this? A couple of months ago, Rick Rubin and I met up at Rick's Shangri-La Studios with Ezra Koenig, singer and songwriter for the band Vampire Weekend. It was a Sunday morning, not long before the fires had devastated the area. Koenig was putting the finishing touches on the band's first album in six years, Father of the Bride. Our deal with Ezra is that we weren't allowed to air this until the album finally came out. And now it has. In fact, it's the number one record in the country. I imagine that if this conversation had happened today, it would be different, because the world has validated how brilliant Father of the Bride is. But back in October, all of that was uncertain, which is what makes this conversation so fascinating. Rick knows Ezra well, and there seemed to be a deep bond of respect and affection between the two of them. I'd never met him before, and I was struck by how open and thoughtful he was. He came with his guitar, which was sitting on the floor, until Rick gently suggested he hold it, and that's when Ezra really came alive. Father of the Bride is the first Vampire Weekend record without Rostam Batmanglige. Rostam had been with the band for a decade and produced all of their albums. So it was a change to have Ariel Rekshid as this album's sole producer. Ariel, whose work with Adele, Blood Orange, and Madonna, came with Ezra to Malibu that day. And you'll hear him joining in the conversation, talking about how he and Ezra worked together, making sure the band was telling complete stories with their songs. People are like, oh, you're working on a new Vampire Weekend record. Is it good? I'm like, yeah, it's good. What's it like? I'm like, it's a lot of Ezra narrative that is now completed. Like, each song has a message and it ends. So for the last episode of Broken Record Season 2, we bring you a special episode. Ezra and Ariel with me and Rick talking about the anxieties of putting out new music after such a long time away. 
I'm Malcolm Gladwell. This is Broken Record. Of course, the past few years is like a little nerve-wracking, like, oh my God, this is taking so long, what's going on? And then now that we're here, I'm kind of like, I don't look back on any time in the past two years as having been, that would have been a good time to release a Vampire Weekend album. I don't know if next year is a good time, but definitely the last two years weren't a good time. And yeah, I've kind of been enjoying like saying no to stuff and pushing it and you know, it just feels it feels right in a weird way. Does it when you say you're pushing it, is it because you're going back over things over and over again? Or are you walking away from them? What are you doing? A little bit of both. There's one song that we've tweaked so many times and probably to a lot of people the difference is negligible, but we got it to a place where we're a little happier with how it sounds. And it's barely even arrangements and very slight arrangement things. It's mostly mixing. I think it's all arrangement. There is a moment where like the mixing becomes a turn this up, turn this down, but that takes five minutes. It's like cracking the code on arrangement is really what it's when the arrangement's right, the, there's a there's a wide margin of correct for the mix, I think. Yeah, that's why we start mixing and mastering songs and then they're not necessarily done and then we listen to the what it w- a final version would sound like and then we go back to the drawing board and how many iterations have you have you had of this song a lot but the funny thing is that with everything on this record the majority of what you hear the spirit of what you hear came very quickly actually and it's just kind of um holding on to what was good about the initial burst of creativity but also making it like a you know a little bit more correct if that even makes any sense it's like hard to articulate because it doesn't it, there is no rationale behind it. it's just like a feel thing mm-hmm. um but in terms of pro tool sessions how many are there for the song i mean a lot hundreds yes hundreds of different versions no hundreds of sessions and so what that means is like hundreds of like okay like it could be as simple as just this is a little bit louder than that and that's safe like you know Mm -hmm. session number 121 or whatever but like big picture changes on this song not that many fairly much yeah it's not like when because up until this like like final up until this final push which was like me just being like i'm not gonna be you know, oppressed by this original version anymore. I'm going to break the mold of like the drums that we were holding on to and all this stuff. Up until then, it was pretty much just like two versions, like the original and then like starting to um, one BPM slower or two BPM slower. And then like maybe a few piano flourishes right. and stuff like that, you know. But the palette never changed. Like, it's not like one of those stories where it's like Heart of Glass was like a slow reggae song and then became disco. Mm-hmm. So, so so, truly, even within these hundreds of slight variations, there's, the for somebody thing. you might play them the very first version, this version, they'd be like, and, they, and, they'd know they were different recordings, but in spirit, yeah, maybe not that different. Do you want to play the song? Sure. Could play it. Could I just play it right off here? This is the... Most recent version of this song that we've been tweaking forever. Wait, when you were listening that time, are there still things you want to do to it? I mean, sometimes when we listen to it with other people, it, it passes by in such a blur that I, I can't tell if... I can't even tell what I think about it. Did you hear anything you wanted to change? You can always hear things, but you know... I. I 
the second I hear something, I also hear the conversation that you and I are having right, right after I have that thought, and it's like, it's not worth it. <laughs> yeah. That song, for whatever reason, because it's this weird, like, middle tempo. That's probably why it's been frustrating for us, that there's times, depending on how much coffee I've had or how tired I am, that I can hear it as fast or slow. So sometimes, especially when we're playing it for other people, the whole thing feels very fast and goes by quickly. The same way, like, if you have to, like, you know, like, give a speech in front of people, it, like, and then you're there and you're just, like, it, yeah. it goes by very quickly. So I don't know. It's, it's hard to, like, listen diligently in, in that, that kind of situation. But in broad strokes, it's, like, it's how the song's supposed to be. So What's interesting to me is I haven't heard it probably in six months. Yeah. And it sounds maybe... Three percent different. That's yeah. all it is. But it's a hundred percent better. Okay, thank God. That's good to hear. That's best. It, it, yeah. it feels much more finished than it did before. Much more. Great. Which is interesting because not a lot has changed. Yeah. Well, then, the, and you and you know this. That's the hardest thing. Yeah. You know when you're sort of like you're in this like beautiful old house and you there's something wrong it's like a little crooked and you're yeah. like just trying to fix it without redoing it it changes anyway. a lot of stuff yeah so Dominoes. and especially and especially <laughs> with us because i go when like i was saying before sometimes i'm surprised when i go back to an old recording by how bad my voice sounds or how rough something is or how maybe something just seems a little off and so then i've also wondered at times is that part of what makes that part weekend who we are is being a little fucked up, being a little non-professional. So that's always like a funny push and pull like that. We've very rarely used outside mixers in the band on a couple of tracks on the last album and on a couple of tracks on this album, including this song, because there's always been that fear of like, if our shit sounded too good or too finished, would it not be us? So that's also this whole other conversation to get stressed about do you remember when you wrote this what was the first thing that came it's it's a little bit complicated because the the oldest version of this song which included some of the the lines was i guess the um a version of stone walls of harmony i'll bear witness anybody with a worried mind and originally was almost like this kind of baroque twee like kinks type song and actually the only aside from the lyrics the the, the vi- only vestigial element of that is that kind of baroque part bum 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 ba, 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 bum bum with the arpeggios so it was kind of like a very different type of song and so it kind of started with i guess what we would call the chorus um did you write it on the piano yeah that part on the piano and then i wrote the the guitar part boom separately and then when we started working together... But not even necessarily, I mean, it, correct me if I'm wrong. Not thinking about this song. Yeah, yeah. The, the way these songs, my experience with Ezra and the songs is there are lots of ideas from lots of different places that we kind of stitch together most uh, oftentimes. Definitely, definitely with this one. Yeah, it's like several... So the riff was not part of the original song? No. No, so it was fun because, you know, like... Sometimes you have a good verse and then it's like time to write the chorus and that's always that's always like such sucks because then the chorus is going to be the most important part and if the chorus is not as good as the verse it's really frustrating and you might throw the whole song away. So at least here in a weird way we were starting with a chorus a chorusy part and then we had to work backwards to um 
basically my memory is that there was this there's this, a song that had this and the, the chord progression goes like five one four yeah. and then i remember we were we were sitting there talking well if we don't want to have the entire song be five one four bum 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 oh, can you give bum, him bum. a guitar he can, so you can explain okay. it oh yeah yeah sure. okay. Okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, you, the, you have better access yeah yeah totally so the part that i originally wrote on piano you know the chords are So it's, this is in B, so it's F sharp, B, E. So we already had the, the, in Stonewall's family, I'll bear witness, anybody with a, so that was pre-existing, and then, and then I think at some point we looked back and we're like, well, if the song is five, I mean, and these are like the, the simplest chords ever, so we're like, if it's five, one, four, what could the, verse B, and then we're like, well, it might make sense that the verse would start on one. So I just, I vaguely remember us sitting at your house in front of the computer being like, the chords could start at on one, and something could happen, and we're just kind of like singing and jamming, and then I think I thought of that riff, being like, well, I had this riff that went... And then we're like, oh, that makes sense, because it's, it's like, then then the verse goes one, da, 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 da. four, one, four, and then it feels kind of big to go five. And, you know, you're talking about one, four, and five, the most classic chords ever, so it's not some huge mystery, but that's kind of how it started to come together. And then I had to, like, write lyrics to it to make sure that there was actually some sense of storytelling or that it made sense to me. And um, I worked on that a bunch with uh, another friend of ours, Dave Maklovich, who's kind of served as like my editor for the first time. I really had like an editor on this, just somebody to be like, I would show him the lyrics. He'd look at them, kind of mark them up, be like, that that doesn't sound like you. That's that's a little trite, whatever. What does this mean? I mean, I don't know if that's what you're. Is that what that's editors exactly do? What they do. Okay, it's, it's so. It's almost disheartening to feel to hear that you have to go through the same prosaic bullshit that writers do. Well, I I actively sought it out. Yeah. I didn't so because I would because I always think that like especially on the early Vampire Weekend albums and maybe that's some of the charm. I know when there's like a filler verse that is pure. I don't want to say doesn't make sense that because that's being a little too hard on myself. I think, but you know when there's a verse that's pure vibe. And I think just being a little older and wanting to try something more challenging and also just having more experiences and meeting more different types of musicians and stuff. Because, you know, we just had the band. I hadn't been around other people's processes before. But as I got older and I'd sometimes get invited to a session, just watch a bunch of people pause and be like, what's the song about? That was big for me because I realized I'd never done that before. What's the song about? I almost thought that that was a prosaic question. What's the song about? Like... What's life about? You know, it's just like, it's about many things. Like, somebody's like, what's Oxford Comma about? He asked me what Oxford Comma's about, man. No, and, and now, actually, I can I can explain what it's about. But so on, so on these songs, I don't know if they're any more specific. There's, there's other songs on the album that are very straightforward, in, in a sense. But on this song, I was really like, it was nice to have somebody to bounce stuff off. You know, me and Ariel did that, too. But Dave was, like, very specifically, like, the kind of lyrical editor. So could really think about I already had this thing the stone walls of Harmony Hall bear witness and this stuff is still vibey there's still going to be people who say the song doesn't make any sense but it, it, this one truly makes a lot of sense to me so I had to pause and say okay I have this chorus 
what does that chorus mean? What are verses that would add to it? And so like we really went back and forth a few times about like, you know, tweaking small things and... Uh, Do you remember one of those lyrical tweaks? On this song? Yeah, the... So there's always the stone walls of Harmony Hall bear witness. Anybody with a worried mind could never forgive the sight. And then the next part used to be different. I don't remember what it was. I know. I kind of it almo- was, I almost remember. Stone walls of Harmony Hall bear witness. Anybody with a worried mind could never forgive the sight. I don't think it was always wicked. Snakes. It wasn't wicked. We landed on wicked, and you like it was. I was like, I was excited moment. to land on wicked. Yeah, yeah. Wicked's one of my yeah. favorite words. And this is like for the real heads. The real Vampire Weekend heads will know that I've used that word on a few occasions. One of which is on the on the Beyonce song. What a wicked way. Those are like my two. These will be my two real wicked lyrics. Um, so wicked snakes was something, and I remember coming up with dignified was exciting because I was like, oh, dignified is exactly the type of it makes sense in the context of what I mean. And also, you know, this song has like a touch of like Stonesy energy. And I remember thinking that like dignified sounds like one of those words that kind of gives Mick Jagger, I don't know who wrote the lyrics, Keith and Mick Jagger lyrics, their flavor. Cause I always like defend them passionately when people are like they're just like ripping off blues songs and country and you know americana or whatever and i'd always be like yes that's true and for whatever reason though i don't know if it's their englishness or just their sensibility as human beings they have these funny words just like when mcchair's like i saw her today at the reception i just always think that like it's so funny and weird that he said reception i don't know why just like to me that he said no, reception it's, it's is like is weirdo it's it's not a song word what? You don't hear reception a lot in songs. Yeah. And then his delivery, reception. And dignified is not a song word. It's Yeah, it's, not typically. No, that, that's what yeah. makes it great. I remember at first it was something about, at first it was undignified, which I thought was even better. We get snakes inside place. I remember I wanted to, it was going to be like, da 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 and so undignified. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't sound like me anymore. That's funny. But wait, you wait, thought wait, it was that dignified. That makes it more country. And so, and so undignified. Yeah, dignified, I wouldn't be surprised that popped up in some weird country song. We'll be back after the break. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. It's real cash that never expires or loses value. Apply for Apple Card in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Daily cash is available via Apple Cash Card issued by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC, or as a statement credit. Terms and more at AppleCard.com. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. Tractor Supply trusts 5G solutions from T-Mobile. Together, they're connecting over 2,200 stores with 5G business internet, empowering AI so team members can match shoppers with the products they need faster. This is enriching customer experience. This is Tractor Supply with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, 
Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. We're back with Vampire Weekend's Ezra Koenig and producer Ario Rekshid. When you said the editor sometimes said to you, that doesn't sound like you, what is something that doesn't sound like you? What does that mean? I know, that gets so weird. It's, it, you just, it's, it's that one, you just know it when you see it. Well, he, he's also, he's a musician, so he's in this band called Chromio. And well, more than um, anything, he's an old friend of yours. He's an old friend. and He, he and knows he's, you. And he knows Vampire Weekend really well. So he knows the modes of Vampire Weekend. And so he would often tell me that, that something should be a little more yahe, because that's one of our songs on the last album, which is probably one of our like heavier, more biblical songs. And so he, he would have a shorthand for referring to Vampire Weekend songs and being like, you could bring a little more of that side of yourself out here. And, you know, I've, I've always had this experience with lyrics because they're so personal to me that, um, you know, I'll like go to the mat for something that I, I like, but I've always found working with other people, whether it's Ariel, Rostam as producers, or Dave specifically as this type of lyrical editor, where I know, I know when I'm trying to slip some bullshit through you know, so if somebody says, like, I'm not sure I like that lyric, but it's one that I know. I know it makes sense. I know it's poetic. I know it's me. Then I'll I'll say to them, like, okay, all right, you don't like it. That's all right. Maybe you had a, you had a bad experience with, with that phrase before. But when somebody sa- says, like, I don't know about that one, and I know it was one of those ones that I was sneakily trying to just hope nobody noticed because I knew it was cliched, stupid meaningless whatever and then they it's like then they're pushing on a on a sore point and i'm like oh fuck you're right then i know i have to rewrite it so and i don't think i could ever do that by myself yeah there is some sense of as you're writing you'll have sort of the key lines that you know work and that Mm. sort of make the song the song and then there's a little bit of a jigsaw puzzle of sort of filling in the rest and it happens to varying degrees of success like some right. of the lines end up just being sort of passing lines. But if someone's reading the passing lines as if they carry the same weight as the main lines, then it, it does force you to sort of analyze the lyrics more. You know, for the, for the sake of telling the story, it doesn't make a difference. But for the sake of the poetry, it makes a difference. Mm-hmm. You could do it musically or lyrically, That that feeling of, you know the song has special moments, so you know it's a worthwhile song. And then there's this feeling, but could what if you went back and turned some of the, the worst parts into the best parts? Then the whole thing is better. And I think that happens a lot, too, where somebody writes a good chorus, and you know it's a good chorus, and you're like, well, who cares if verse three sucks? 
But if you're talking about like a, a Leonard Cohen or somebody who would spend years revising, and then you look at like, it's a it's cliched now, but like a song like Hallelujah, and you're like, damn, verse three and four of that song. I, I also have to say, I don't know exactly what verse three and four of that song are, but I know some of those later verses, like the one about I've seen your flag on the marble arch or something. And you're like, that to me maybe is one of the best lines in the whole song. And maybe that's better than the opening verses or something. And then that's what makes it probably such a durable, strong song that there's so many entry points. And I don't know. Can you pick another song from the album? Mm. And can we do this a very similar kind of... I've got kind of one that was fun and that I think Dave really helped me understand what it was about. And Ariel really helped understand what it was supposed to sound like. And this one is a tiny bit... There are like two people who said that this was not their favorite song on the album. So I always have been presenting this within our circle as like, this one's a bit controversial. Because <laughs> some people it's their favorite, some people it's not. And it's this one called Married in a Gold Rush. And it's uh, yeah, it's funny because we did the earliest version before, RL, you, you put in that like weird chopped up uh, choir stuff and the weird drums. Was kind of like fairly straightforward, folky country on acoustic guitars. Like, and that, uh, so basically that started with the chorus kind of. Oh, no, no, I, I, I had this first. I knew that it was cool to start a song, Something's hat. Something's happening in the country And the government's to blame We got married in a gold rush And the rush has never felt the same I just thought that was a fun way to open a song. And... And I like this concept of married in a gold rush. It just seemed like it's one of those things that it sounds like two bizarre things slapped together. You know, it's like married in a fever plus plus something about a gold rush, you know, turned together. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, but I always like when seemingly random things actually start to feel very meaningful. And then I thought about it and I was like, married in a gold rush makes a lot of sense to me. It's, it, it's how I feel about life and the world and stuff. And then I was talking about it with... Dave and I was like is this just gonna seem like and it, it still might I gotta be honest but is this just gonna come across like like a goofy lightweight country excursion and we talked about like well people are gonna hear it how they hear it and I think the the production the arrangement helped take it out of that territory but people are gonna hear it how they hear it and all that matters is that it's like meaningful to me. So we talked a lot about um, the chorus and also the song's a duet. So it's a man and a woman sing. It's Danielle Haim on the record. So the chorus goes like, I don't want to hear the rumors. Please don't say it loud. I just want to go out tonight and make my baby proud. And then she goes, boy, who's your baby girl? If you don't know by now, there's two seats on the midnight train. The gold won't weigh us down. And I think originally, this reminds me also of how long we've been working on this album, is that I remember when that Ed Sheeran song came out, where that kind of like tropical Ed Sheeran song, where he's like, there's some part where they say, girl, like, boy, you done the girl. And I remember when that came out, which already feels like a million years ago, but I remember we'd been working on the song for a while and be like, oh, damn, he, he said that too? That just <laughs> to give some perspective on how long we take. But... Well, if you um, wait long enough, we will all have forgotten the insurance option. Yeah, no, but, that's that's why we have to wait another <laughs> another couple of years. But but so that one, I remember before it fully came together, I knew, I think it started out, 
it was kind of more just some cliched random like you know rewrite of a country song from somebody who didn't fully engage with the material i think originally i just had some vague lyrics that went like like i don't wanna hear it baby please don't say it loud i just want to go out tonight and make my daddy proud boy who's your daddy girl if you don't know by now it was like some weird i don't know why i wanted to say daddy that just seemed funny to me (laughs) My dad used to play this some old country song called Roly Poly, Daddy's Little Fatty. Is that like a famous song? You guys know it? Roly Poly, Daddy's Little Fatty. It's about a little fat kid who eats corn and taters. <laughs> and he's going to grow up to be a big man someday. So I don't know. The word daddy seemed funny to me. That's a real story that you're telling? Yeah, that's a real oh. song. Roly Poly, Daddy's Little Fatty. He, was, he wasn't fat shaming me. Was he really into country music? Yeah, so he, he had like some strong country selections but it was one of many genres but so i had this i thought it was i couldn't get off the word daddy in the song for some reason and so I, but then i talked with dave like well what does that mean and then i'm like well maybe maybe daddy's a metaphor also the the album is called father of the bride and i've had that name in my head for a long time so been the concept of like father as a metaphor was already interesting to me but but I just want to go out tonight and make my daddy proud. And then, then the woman's asking, boy, who's your daddy? And then I remember just trying to come up with like some metaphysical answer. So there were like some bad versions where I basically said, well, you know, my daddy's like, I can't remember what it was, like the sky above. Or it was like some kind of weird philosophical thing. And then we talked about it, we're like, what is this daddy shit? It, does, it doesn't make any sense. And And then we kind of realized it's, the whole point of the song, and in some ways the whole album, is trying to write songs that are about real conversations between people, which is the one thing in Vampire Weekend songwriting, even though I've done a lot of stuff I wanted to do, I'd never done something that simple, which is something I, as I get older I admire more, a song where you know who the narrator is, and you know what the situation is, and you know what they're talking about, and it's something semi-universal about the relationships between human beings. So. So then it became, little by little, we talked about it. We almost started to, like, we, I remember Dave and I just having these long discussions about, because I, I knew on a gut level what Married in a Gold Rush meant to me, and it was like something came together when times were good, and, and now it's done. Um, and, and Gold Rush adds this kind of, like, element of greed and finance to it, and, and I was like, that that means a lot to me, and so then we just had to, but we had to expand it a little bit to kind of paint a story about it. And we're like, uh, like, what does it mean that he wants to like make his baby proud? And he's trying to tell the woman, like, and, and you know, maybe they're teasing each other a little bit, but you know, she's saying, "Who's your baby?" And he's like, "Come on, don't you know by now it's you, essentially?" And like, let's get on the let's get on the train. Let's not let the gold weigh us down. And we just kind of started to like talk about situations throughout history, and you know, and I remember at some point we were just talking he he brought up the uh the, the the family that owned like the the Klimt painting in Austria or something uh, you know and not not to make it judeo holocaust centric but just situations where a golden era ends abruptly and people have to get out of dodge and leave their shit so anyway there just the fact that Dave kind of helped recontextualize the lyrics with some type of setting 
for a second, then the whole thing became more meaningful to me and I, I didn't have to worry as much about daddy and stuff. I was like, oh, these are two people in a situation. Maybe they're trying to have a sense of humor about it. But And, and I don't want to say it specifically about that, but even just him throwing out that example started making me think of other stories and situations I was aware of and and just gave the whole thing a little more gravitas and just grounded it for me. And so in a weird way, like I was talking about before, this experience I had in my late 20s of being in a session with people and, and somebody like being like, hold on, wh- what's what's the song about? Who's talking in the song? And that being very novel to me, uh, kind of this was like our version of it where I was like a lyric, a vague concept, you know, uh, that's all I had. And then and then for us to real, the only way that we could kind of improve on it was to say like, rather than searching for a vibey daddy metaphor to say like, let's like stop. What are these people talking about? And then suddenly, even though I can totally imagine for a certain type of listener, at the end of the chorus, there's two seats on the midnight train. The gold won't weigh us down could come across as cliched because the midnight train is, you know, just a, a cliche of songwriting. By that point, I was kind of into it because I was like, I like that this song maybe is a series of cliches that comes together to mean something to me. And whether the, and I, and I know some people will will hear what I hear and some people might not, but then, I, but then suddenly, rather than being a, a string of random things pulled from songs, it suddenly felt like something that, that was meaningful to me. And Married and Gold Rush and Midnight Train and all that stuff actually was telling a, a very specific story rather than just being a fun mashup of references. Can you play us the, a little more of it? Well, it's just funny because it is a duet, so... Sing her parts in falsetto. <laughs> we, were kind of, we sing in a pretty similar range on this song. Yeah, her so, her so, voice is probably lower than yours. Yeah, so, so yeah, I, the opening thing is I go, Something's happening in the country And the government's to blame We got married in a gold rush and the rush has never felt the same And then Danielle comes in Shared a moment at a cafe Shared a kiss in pouring rain We got married in a gold rush And the sight of gold will always bring me pain I, and Then it goes into the chorus But so that even that's an example where it's like the I think I already had that line. There's something I liked about the, the, the female voice singing. Shared a moment in a cafe. That's some like Mick Jagger shit. I just thought it. And again, <laughs> it is, it is. it's like it's the, the, I think with our songs and the, the way we talk about music and what we do, there's there's literally moments where we sit around. I, I found sometimes people have been like found it bizarre when they hear me talk. And I think this is a lot of it comes from Dave. And I think Ariel shares a similar sensibility. We'll be talking about something. Just be like, yo, that's funny. And people be like, what are you talking? You're not like making like a, a comedy, but we do use funny a lot to refer to things that we mean kind of like interesting, meaningful, surprising. So at first, I think having a song like this and just having somebody go, cafe, just seemed funny. Shared a moment in a cafe. Shared kissing pouring rain. We got married in a gold rush. And the sad gold will always bring me pain. But then as we started to say, like, fill it out a little bit, and again, this is like the shit that maybe only is meaningful to us, but you know, talking to Dave, 
and even when he starts talking about this kind of, uh, uh, you know, Viennese Jewish family owning a klimt or something, he, and again, didn't try to jam that into the song itself, mm-hmm. but even just to have that vision or that, that, that vibe in the back of my head, suddenly the references to gold felt a little more meaningful. And then even the reference to a cafe, <laughs> cafe, felt a little more meaningful too, because then you start thinking about like, that was the golden age, Viennese cafe culture, or, you know, there's similar shit in, in Germany. And then even the word cafe stopped being just kind of funny to like put into a song and, and almost had this weird resonance. And again, you cannot, there's no way you can guarantee that the listener will remotely have that resonance. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's another example of how having that kind of editor writer type relationship helped me clarify what the song was about and help me go back and be like, well, if that's what the song is about, the word daddy is just stupid. But the word cafe actually looks better in that light. We'll be back with more from Ezra and Ariel after the break. You can find inspiring stories almost anywhere. For instance, check out the co-founders of Girls Who Do Interiors. This Miami-based design company was started by three friends when they were still in school. And right from the start, they turned to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards. And they handle them all in one place with the Chase mobile app. It's so important to have that kind of help when you're just starting out. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. Member FDIC. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. Tractor Supply trusts 5G solutions from T-Mobile. Together, they're connecting over 2,200 stores with 5G business internet, empowering AI so team members can match shoppers with the products they need faster. This is enriching customer experience. This is Tractor Supply with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy to use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. We're back. How much time do you think about what other people are going to think of the songs versus what you think of the songs? Too much. Constantly. And that's probably also part of the issue with why it's so much more fun to, to work on the record than to release it, because... Until you get to that that Zen place where you accept the fact that by putting work out into the world, you are not potentially opening yourself up to misinterpretation and unfair criticism. You are inviting misinterpretation. You know, 
until you get to the place where you just accept that, that that's the way of the world and that's how it is, it kind of, um, it's very easy to, to get in your head and be like, what's the point of this? I already did what I wanted to do. Now I have to, I know some people will like this and be excited and some other people will misinterpret it and, you know, call the thing that I think is meaningful dumb and call the thing that I think is dumb meaningful. And just knowing that it's going to happen, I haven't gotten to a place yet where I can fully kind of laugh about that. That still puts me off, makes me less enthusiastic about uh, releasing things. But how does how does the conversation end in the song? Um, well, then the, the second verse goes... Yeah, I'll just go through the verses real quick, just because I like the second verse. The second goes... Hanging gardens turn to desert. And then she goes... All that loving turned to hate We got married in a gold rush And those wedding bells were ringing out our fate And then, oh, then there's a bridge. Third verse is the best. Yeah, then the third verse goes, the third verse, so after there's this kind of bridge where there's this extended metaphor of like an empty mine in an abandoned mine town, then then the third verse goes, I go, I thought you might learn some manners. And then she goes, I thought you might learn to sing. And then we go, we were born before the gold rush. So I cannot remember anything. That one's, I, I think I was happy with that, that mix of tone. Because like the first part, I love in those old country songs, when they they roast each other, that was a song that my dad familiarized with me growing up. Was uh, uh, I think I think it's Conway, Twitty and Loretta Lynn. It's one of the classic duet partner pairs. But they have the song like, uh, "You're the reason our kids are ugly, little darling." And I just realized like some of those the country duets are very emotional, but other ones they're they're just funny, and they they have that tone of like roasting each other. You're the reason I changed from beer to soda pop. You're the reason I, you know, like being a little mean to each other. So I thought there was something funny about, I thought you might learn some manners. I thought you might learn to sing. That just seemed like what the, yeah, what Loretta Lynn would sing to Conway or Tammy Wynette would sing to George Jones or something. But then the next part, we were born before the gold rush. So I cannot remember anything. I think that kind of brings it back to the more eerie feeling of of what the song is really trying to communicate some some feeling of we got brainwashed through this like good time golden era and now it's over and i can't even remember what happened before then so clearly we have to look for, to the future and then then the fi- end of it goes um why can't i remember anything oh i want to put things back together i want to give don't want to take Time to disavow the gold rush And the bitterness that's flourished in its wake I don't want to hear the rumors And there's one last kind of slightly more triumphant chorus But yeah, that, so that, that basically is the resolution And even that's new for a Vampire Weekend song To have resolution I mean, we've definitely had a lot of third verses That took the song to a, a new place But to me, when it's two people talking to each other in some weird transitional moment, that is a type of rev- resolution. Like, I want to put things back together. I want to give. I don't want to take. 
time to disavow the gold rush and the bitterness that's flourished in its wake. That also gets back to some of that Mick Jagger shit, just like throwing in those like extra words like flourished. Um, but but again, that part is is meaningful to me. That that uh, I remember the first demo we had of this before the song got like got the cool drums and the cool groove and the things that really make the recording what it is. There was a version that was like upright bass and yeah, and I did of course, and like I felt the... the story was shining through, but it still wasn't. It all kind of comes together. Yeah, but, but it all leads off of the concept of the song. Yes, it's the form is kind of country, but it's not derivative country music. You know, we I think you and I both have too much respect for everything. George Jones. For George Jones. Um, is he your favorite? I, I like him a lot. Um I, you know, I like I like all the all the basic people that everybody likes: Tammy Wynette, George Jones, and then Conway and, and Loretta. Um, and we're not I above can't... we're not above having gone through some some low hanging fruit ideas on the way, right? I mean, right? Like we don't even you know. It would have, and also I think if if we had gone full country, it would the song would just be less interesting. What's cool about this song is sometimes you play it for people and people be like. It's like a country song. And then other people just be like, oh, that's cool. They, and and that's, that's a very interesting thing about country and is that the back in the day, remember, there, uh, we've, we've joked about this a lot. Back in the day, people, there used to be a thing that, that people would say, I guess like white middle class American teenagers generally would say, I like everything except rap and country. And then my joke over the past few years is kind of, indie has declined or whatever has been like people used to say they liked everything except rap and country now music is only rap or country like because the the middle ground of rock music or indie rock doesn't make sense to a lot of people um and and i'm just i'm saying that as just an observer so if so the idea that you like everything but rap or country like what isn't rap slash country got rap country country rap rap rock country rock you know what else, what is not rapper country um but if we did you hear that turned up on the on the weekend record oh yeah <laughs> turn up on the weekend that guy's from the upper east side by He's the way <laughs> um which guy uh, it's, big, it's, it's, it's called it's big a, wet yeah it's like a a country rap record, but ridiculous. Oh, really? And he's from the Upper East Side. <laughs> yeah, so he, he made a persona. It's it's like auto tune country rap. Um, like went to Dalton and yeah, the Holland Yards probably. Very literally may have gone to Dalton, but <laughs> but there's something about like kind of realizing that oh, country, it is kind of lame when people go country because country is one of the pillars of American music, and also even when people used to say these silly things, like I like everything but rap or country, they were listening to country. You know, I, I, like, I guarantee, I may have even known this person when I was like growing up. You know that there's probably a kid somewhere who's like, oh man, I hate country. Like, what do you like? I like Bruce Springsteen, The Grateful Dead, Tom Petty. You'd be like, yeah, you hate country, right. You literally are listening to country. I like the Rolling Stones. You're lit- these guys, lit- half their songs are country. Even Grateful didn't even have pedal steel sometimes, but yeah. But again, the like, yeah, you you like the River by Bruce Springsteen, but you don't like country. You know, at some point, you're just calling things by different names, 
and um and i think kind of realizing that made it feel like okay there there's there's nothing wrong with kind of leaning a little bit in into country as a songwriting form or or a, or a pillar of american music but there is something that just didn't feel like us about going country so we tried to make sure that we, we there's some brief moments on the record that lean that way but it's it ultimately hopefully comes across as one of many flavors and i and i'd like to think that the song in both the songwriting and the uh uh and the production and arrangement tips its hat a little bit to some of these classic country duets but not in some like big like dress up genre way like the way that you know like the Rolling Stones far away eyes it's literally Mick Jagger being like I'm a stupid southerner like he literally puts on this voice and is like I ran 10 red lights for Jesus like that's a that's a bit much I do like that song but it's still a bit much hopefully we just you know kind of using it as a uh almost as like a poetic form the country duet what 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 do you learn from that you know two people talking to each other in a country song what do you take from that other than you know pedal steel and southern accents you know did you always have your who was you say you said your, your duet partner was oh danielle heim from oh, the band heim oh, oh, and there, there's three duets with her on the record and she's a big part of it did, did you always have her in mind when you were when you were writing the, those duets no i i had not exactly and even in some weird so it, it's originally i kind of thought well maybe we'll get a, a country person a country singer that could be interesting some like you know reaching across the aisle type thing and had some conversations and reached out to a couple people and i had like one conversation with somebody's manager about like you know maybe bring them in and with this person who's like a fairly well-known country singer and then the manager responded and and was like oh you know she she knows vampire weekend a little bit she thinks she thinks you guys are cool like can we jump on the phone and talk about it? so i talked with her and i you know kind of made a pitch to her about why i think it could be interesting and she was like all right well you know just uh, just send us the song and we'll take it from there which i think is very typical in almost every form of music including modern nashville country where somebody where where you would of course it makes sense send us the song we'll see if we like the song and then we were like making a making a little bounce to send and there's something about it just didn't feel right we just couldn't bring ourselves to send the bounce because it was like there there's something about it that just felt too empty and and again for all the ways in which the the indie world has ceased to exist or the way we make music has changed or whatever that's one of the few things that i'll probably always hold on to in terms of indie spirit is like things have to happen organically and you have to have a relationship with the people you make music with. You, you know? wanted to meet, you didn't, you wanted, you wanted her right there when you were singing it. Is that what you're saying? I want Yeah. I want to be like, you know, next time you're in LA, come by the studio, listen to the song. We can play the whole, uh, everything we've been working on. You can see how you feel. You could try putting down some vocals, see how that sounds. There's something about just like sending the song to say like, what, what do you think of the song? That I just felt like that's just not how, and again, I'm not judging. I, I can totally see it from their point of view, but we just couldn't bring ourselves to do that. And then, so then we we're talking about like, well, who else could try it? And then, you know, uh, Ariel's worked with Haim forever, and we know Daniel really well. <laughs> and and so we were kind of like, there were a few times she would come down just to help us. Uh, it was put super casual. Yeah, it was super casual. Yeah, it was really downstairs and just to see if like even the the when we were still kind of this is early days 
by the way, right? I mean, yeah, it's a long it time. Is. So, so it's just to even see if the song was written in a range that made sense for a female, and um, and there was something so again, like as you put it, like it's part of as lyrics were starting to make more sense, that moment kind of like made sense. You know, she just very casually came in, sang in one take, and it was like, what are we even thinking about? You know, just this is like, this is this is a family. This makes right. perfect sense. This is like, there's already a chemistry. It's real, you know? And it's it's so much more. It's, it, it, if we're referencing anything, we're referencing that relationship. Yeah, exactly. That That's the difference, is that me and Danielle sing together, people who know each other, part of the same community of musicians, work with the same producers, all this thing, all that kind of stuff. Then, then the reference of why we're singing together, like Ariel just put it, is is a real human relationship me duetting with a country star the referent that it's, it's kitsch it's more. kitsch yeah and yeah. and i'm not saying that there might not be a time in my life that i i build that type of relationship with with a, a country singer but then that that might even be pushing into that faraway eyes uh what's the name of Lou harris was it what? great it's a great country duetist <laughs> No, no, but but Emily S is a great example because I always think about her her vocals on Bob Dylan Desire and also how uh, on the, this is the first Vampire Weekend album that has a bunch of outside musicians. It's the first al- Vampire Weekend album that has featured guests. Period, and even that was important too. That it's it's two people. It's Danielle and Steve Lacey, and they're both on multiple songs. and And I kind of thought about that too because there's a classic type of major label pop, hip hop, whatever album where the, you look at the features and you're kind of like, oh, they covered their bases. They got they got a who's who of every genre. And and that doesn't mean it's not artistic, but it happened but it it's not it's not always artistic where you're kind of like, oh, you spread your chips out on the table. Did do it with a country person, do it with an R&B person, got a rock singer, you know, you spread your chips out on the table. And that would never make sense for a Vampire Weekend album. So our thought too was also like, you know, when you think about Emily Harsing back back up on multiple songs on Desire or something, or, you know, with a Jean-Luc Ponty playing fiddle, you know, just just the idea that there people, even if it's only for one album, that people came together for the whole narrative and that if somebody's worth bringing in on one song, they're worth bringing on three songs. Danielle ultimately, between lead and background vocals, maybe sings on like 11, 12 songs or something. Yeah. So for an album that hopefully is about human relationships it makes sense to to make it that way and that's it the last episode of our second season of broken record thanks so much for listening we're working hard to bring you a whole new set of interviews with your favorite musicians soon in the meantime reach out to us at broken record at pushkin.fm if you have ideas of who you'd like to hear on the podcast Thanks to Vampire Weekend's Ezra Koenig and producer Ario Rekshid for joining us at Shangri-La Studios in Malibu. To hear their new record, Father the Bride, visit brokenrecordpodcast.com. Broken Record is produced by Justin Richmond and Jason Gambrell with help from Mia LaBelle, Jacob Smith, Julia Barton, and Jacob Weisberg. Special thanks to my co-hosts, Rick Rubin and Bruce Hedlum for Pushkin Industries, I'm Malcolm Gladwell.
The Medal of Honor podcast is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. It's a special thing to be a member of Navy Federal because they're a member-owned, not-for-profit credit union that invests in their members with amazing rates and low fees. That's why members earn and save more every year. If you are active duty, a veteran, or have a family member who is a veteran or service member, you're eligible for membership. Become a Navy Federal member today. Navy Federal Credit Union. Members are the mission. Insured by NCUA. Equal housing lender. The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. Welcome to Burger Yippee. Would you like a hot apple pie today? Yes, yes, yeah, I won. Woohoo! So that's a yes on the apple pie? I just went big time playing high five casino on my phone. Real cash prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. Yeah. So yes or no on the apple pie? Woo! I won again. I'll take that as a yes. Drive around. Have you had your high five moment today? Only at highfivecasino.com. High five casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High five casino. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top ten for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And. Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer.